0: We're going to be in Genesis chapter 23. We're continuing through Genesis. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's just 20 verses. Chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I might bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, it is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will... But if you will, hear me, I give the price of the field, accept it from me that I might bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, my lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with The cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word, and I thank you, Lord, for the picture that's in here and the example for us to follow um, in our dealings with the world. I just thank you for the great picture of faith that we have of Abraham, who even in a uh, time of grieving still testifies to his faith of the Lord and his belief in the resurrection. We just thank you for this, Lord. We just thank you for, the, for these words, we just thank you for the comfort and hope that comes from them. We pray, Lord, that you just encourage us, lift us up and speak to us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a quote that says, death parts those whom nothing else could part. Abraham and Sarah have been living in Canaan for over 62 years. Or well, for 62 years. They've been married for over 62 years because they were married before they came into the land of Canaan. Sarah is 127 years old now. Abraham's 137, therefore, and Isaac's 37. And now death rears its ugly head. Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is recorded at the time of her death. Sarah is the first in the patriarchal line to die in the land of Canaan. And now Abraham and Sarah have been parted, at least temporarily. Abraham seems to have been away. Yeah, at least he doesn't seem to have been with her when she passed. It says in verse 2 that he goes in to mourn and weep for her as if he wasn't there when she passed. There's a quote by um, a theologian, James Boise. And he says, to weep for a loved one is to show that we have been close, that the loss is uh, keenly felt, that death is an enemy, and that sin has brought this sad punishment upon the human race. And so you have Abraham, this great man of faith, this friend of God, weeping and mourning for the loss of his wife. Yet, I want to tell you that there is nothing weak or unbelieving about his tears. Some might try to say, because some do try to say that. Uh, but I believe that what we see in this passage, a passage that not a lot of people actually spend time teaching, because when we get to Genesis 24 and we get into the story of Isaac and Rebecca, which is like, you know, what are the greatest love stories of the entire Bible? Uh, a lot of people tend to just kind of summarize chapter 23 and just head right into chapter 24, right? Uh, but I believe that the example that we see here in chapter 23 from... Abraham shows us that there was nothing weak or unbelieving at all concerning his actions or anything like that. And I believe his actions that we see here, his actions in mourning, his actions uh, in dealing with the Hittites in the land of Canaan, speak just to the opposite. I believe what they show us here is that Abraham understood that there was hope and that hope does not disappoint. And I think that's something for us to remember as we go through these verses is that there is hope, right? There is hope in death. We shouldn't forget that. Because Christ defeated death. And as Paul writes in Romans 8, not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Now, I read that Abraham goes through the traditional morning customs of his day, right? Uh, Tearing clothes, cutting his beard, spreading dust on his head, and fasting, all done in the presence of the dead body. Um, Because the Israelites had a very elaborate and intense process that they went through when someone died. And that's true, they did. And if it weren't for the fact that Abraham wasn't an Israelite, nor was he a Jew, and Israelite, Israel doesn't even exist yet I would say yeah he probably did follow a lot of those traditions you know but other than that it is true that the Jews have two mourning periods the first one is 7 days and so right after someone uh dies they for 7 days they they basically stop doing everything they just stay home they stay home and they mourn and they fast and you can come over and join them. They'll have you know candles lit, and they'll be reciting the mourner's prayer in Hebrew. And then after that seven days, they have a thirty-day mourning period that goes after that, where they slowly ease back into their normal daily activities and slowly you know get back to work and 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 things like that. Everybody mourns differently. Everybody. Uh, addresses grief differently. Everybody handles it differently, uh, and every culture and religion have different, you know, mourning uh, traditions and stuff like that. Eastern Orthodox has a forty day mourning period. Muslims have a forty day mourning period, depending on the Muslim. Not all Muslims follow it. Hindus have a thirteen day mourning period. Even here in the USA, we have a You know, we have traditions concerning mourning. Supposedly. And, the, and there's five types of mourning periods that are supposedly followed here in the United States. There's a, a 24-month mourning period. There's a 12-month mourning period. There's a 100-day mourning period. There's a 40-day mourning period. And there's a 7-day mourning period. And you're like, well, what's the difference? Well, what's the difference between all those days? Well, it has to do with your relationship to the deceased. Right? So, if you're a child who's mourning the loss of their parents or if you're a husband who's mourning the loss of his wife, like Abraham is here with Sarah, then you're mourning for 24 months. However, if you're a distant cousin of a cousin of a cousin, uh, you're mourning for seven days. Right? It's not as long for those farther away. It's longer for those closer to the deceased. Uh, So remember that if if you have to mourn here soon. Um, You know, when Marilyn Monroe died back in 1962, her ex-husband, Joe DiMaggio, and they'd only been married for less than a year, right? It wasn't like a great relationship. Regardless, Joe DiMaggio was so grieved that when Marilyn Monroe died, he sent flowers to her crypt three times a week for 20 years. 20 years, right? And then when he passed away in 1999... According to his attorney, his last words were, I'll finally get to see Marilyn. He mourned a long time, right? Guess what? We don't mourn like that. We don't mourn like that. Our mourning is not entirely based on our relationship with the deceased. Obviously it is, but not entirely. But instead, it should be based primarily on their and our relationship with the Lord. For for those of us in Christ, we don't grieve, right? We do not grieve as others do who have no hope. Because we have hope. So for us, it's different. That's what it tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4. And I believe that Abraham understood that and his actions testify to that. There's certain truths that go through the Bible that even though you're not taught them until you get into the New Testament, even though you don't read them until you, you know, you're reading the writings of some of the apostles or some of the disciples, or you, know, it's a new, you think it's a New Testament thing, that idea that they taught then was something that came from way back from the patriarchs. It was just something that was in them that they understood. Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead even though we have, have no examples in the Bible of God having raised someone from the dead yet. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that shows us that. But we know when he went to go sacrifice Isaac. We know that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed Isaac God was going to raise him from the dead. So Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead so I believe that he did not grieve as others do. He understood that, and his actions testify to that, right? His actions here testify to his belief and to his expectations of the resurrection. Remember, he believes God can resurrect the dead, right? So Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And I believe that Abraham knew that, that God had not forsaken him or Sarah in the grave or out of it. He knew that. And I think we see that. And the first way we see that is the fact that his mourning period here seems to be a short time. Now, we don't know how long it was exactly. It's one verse. I mean, but it seems to be a short time, right? He comes in, and he weeps, and he mourns for Sarah. And the next verse, it says, he rose up from before his dead. He rose up, right? I mean, for everything, as it tells us in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, right? There is a, there's a time to be born, there is a time to die, there is a time to weep, there is a time to laugh, there is a time to mourn, and there is a time to dance. Abraham's time for mourning was over, and he knew it. Now, the culture around him, they may have had different traditions concerning this. They may have mourned for 40 days, they may, may have mourned for a year, they may have mourned for two years. They may have had elaborate rituals which they followed when someone that they loved passed away. But Abraham was just like, I want to put her in a tomb. I want to put her in a grave, right? I have, my time for mourning is over. I have other things I have to do and get on with. So it says he rose up from before his dead. And that word in the Hebrew for rose up means that Abraham established himself. That's what the word means. It means he established himself in front of all those who lived in the land, all those who were watching Abraham deal with the loss of his wife. His actions testified to his faith in God, and they are evidence that he believed in a God that was greater than death. Right? That he believed in the God that was a God of the living and not of the dead. See, Abraham doesn't take Sarah back to her hometown. He doesn't take her to the family burial plot back wherever she grew up or wherever her family was or things like that, because some of you might have family burial plots that have been in your family for years, right? He doesn't take her back there. He says, no, I want to bury her here. In the view from where we lived pretty much since we came into the land of Canaan, because he's always lived pretty much, you know, he's roamed around, you know, he lives in a tent, he's roamed around, but for a long time in the land of Canaan, he lived by the Oaks of Mamre, near Hebron, and he wants to put her in the cave that he can see from where they pretty much lived. In the land that God had given him. Right? But therein lies the problem. And the problem is, he has no land. Right? right? He's ha- he has many possessions, he's incredibly wealthy, but he has no, he has no physical brick-and-mortar home, right? He lives in a tent. And, and he has no deed to any land. He had never purchased any property. We assume he leased whatever land he was staying on the entire time he's been here. That being said, the land was his by promise, Right? God had given it to him. And Abraham believed God and therefore he knew that this land would be their land forever. And this is where he wanted to bury Sarah. So by faith, he purchases a grave. right? And as far as we know, this was the only land that Abraham would ever purchase. Right? This land that was his, <laughs> that had been given to him by God. Right? Genesis 15, 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. In Genesis 15, 18, right? The Lord is making a covenant with Abraham and he says, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That's a lot of land. That's a lot more land than they inhabit today. Right? I mean, how much of that land does Israel possess today? Oh, about, you know, like this much. I, I promised I was going to show a map one of these days, and so I brought one with me today. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Here it is. Okay. So so Israel today inhabits, see where that red dot is in the middle there? That's Jerusalem. So there's a little area around that. I should have highlighted it, but you can see where it says Israel there. That little section in the middle between Lebanon, between What's on the bottom down there is uh, Sinai between Jordan, there's that little section. That's what they inhabit today, but all that area you see pretty much outlined there is the land that God gave Israel. That's greater Israel. That's the land that they will possess one day. Right? And so we can see that if Israel occupies All the land that was given to him by God, all the land that he promised Abraham's descendants, they would occupy part of Egypt, they would occupy part of Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Lebanon, right? All those things that would be part of their land. And the thing you need to remember about that, just when we're dealing with things today and politics today concerning Israel and stuff like that, is that they have not lost their claim to that land, right? And they will one day possess the entire thing. So Abraham says I own this land by promise however I need to purchase from you a grave. So this how Abraham deals here with the Hittites is an example for us to follow. This is a really great example for us to follow. He didn't deal with them in superiority. He didn't deal with them in an attitude of begging, right? He humbly bowed himself before them and dealt with them honestly and respectfully. And it starts with Abraham understanding his place. And this is what he says about that, right? Verse 4 I am a sojourner and foreigner among you, right? Which is a weird comment for someone who's lived there for 62 years, right? It's like your next door neighbor that you've lived next, next to your entire life who comes over to you one day and says, Well, I'm just a stranger here. You've been living here your entire life, right? You're not a stranger. But Abraham is saying that. He's like, I am just a sojourner. I am a foreigner here in your land. They're like, Abraham, you've been here 62 years, right? But yet Moses thought that way. David thought that way. David said that I'm a sojourner like all my fathers, he said. So basically, he's saying, Everyone who came before me in my line, there were sojourners and foreigners as well. We are that way. Well, guess what? So are you, right? You are strangers in a strange land. We are not to be residents of this world or this land. We are to be sojourners. We are only here temporarily. This is not our home. It tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were to remember that at one time we were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers and to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. I mean, that can relate to us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. But is that talking about you here in the world? No. You will always be strangers and foreigners and aliens here in the world. But you are not in the kingdom of God because that is where your home is. Right? So this world is not our permanent home. Yes, we are no longer alienated from God through Christ, but we will always be strangers and sojourners in this land always in the world in which we live. And that's the way it was with Abraham and Sarah too. They lived in the land of Canaan for 62 years as if they were foreigners. They lived in a tent, right? The entire time, right? And they did this by faith. Why? Because they were looking forward to a better country, quote unquote. They were looking forward to a heavenly one, as it tells us in Hebrews 11. Right? Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16 tell us that they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Right? And then at the end it says, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's what Jesus told us too. Right? I go off to prepare a place for you if it were not be i would tell you it is and i'm going to come back and bring you to me right so abraham gets in this bargaining you could say or this deal with the hittites for land and there's two ways to look at how this how this goes down at least from the side of ephron and the hittites because <clears throat> abraham is the example that we're going to follow here. But there's two ways to look at how they're dealing with Abraham. One of the ways to look at it is that they ultimately just greatly respect Abraham. right? Which is one way to look at it. Because look what they say. Abraham says, I'm a stranger and a foreigner among you. And they tell him, you are a prince of God. That's what they tell him, right? Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Like, so they're like, what? You're not a stranger and a foreigner, dude. Right? You are a prince of God. And if you want the land to bury your wife, take it. Whatever it is, you want it, take it. Right? No one's going to withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. No one. There is no one here that won't give you what you want. So one way to look at it is that they greatly respect Abraham. I mean, they call him, like I said, our mighty prince or prince of God, Nazi Elohim in the Hebrew is, is what that is. They offer him their best tombs. They offer him the field and the cave at no cost, right? They say, well, no, just take it. That's what Ephron said. Oh, here, just take this. Right? So it seems that they greatly respect him. Now, on the other hand, one thing you have to understand is the uh, traditional cultural customs for bargaining at the time. And the way that those things went is that the seller would... Uh, Offered to give the items. That's how the bargaining started. So someone would say, hey, I really like your field. I'd like to buy it. Like Abraham, I'd really like to buy the cave and the field that's over here. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't have to buy that. I'll give it to you. I greatly respect you and you're a great man so you can have it. And then they come back and they say, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. I, I want to buy it. It's not fair. I, can't, I just can't take it from you. And then they give you a price, but they give you a price that's ridiculously high, right? Oh, well, it's not worth a lot. How about 4,000 shekels of silver, right? And then you, the bargaining starts there. However, it didn't continue on. I'm not saying that they, that they weren't doing that. I don't know. I tend to lean towards the fact that they greatly respected Abraham, because of how long he'd lived there and how he'd dealt with them, I kind of feel that there was a little bit of sincerity going on, that they were really willing to give him the land if he wanted it. But Abraham wasn't willing to take it for free. So if they were trying to bargain with him, it didn't work. Because he just agrees to whatever price they said. Oh, you want 4,000 shekels of silver? It's only worth a 100. Okay, no problem, <laughs> right? I'll give you 4,000 shekels of silver. He wasn't going to argue with them, right? He wasn't going to bargain with them. You know, grave sites are a big deal to some people. Grave sites are a big deal to certain cultures, right? I mean, it costs a lot to die. I don't know if you've ever looked into the cost of dying. Uh, in Washington State, I think it's an average of $24,000 a person. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you, either don't die um, or just go with cremation because it's a lot less expensive. You know, the most visited burial site, probably, arguably, the most visited burial site in the United States is Graceland. Right, six hundred and fifty thousand people a year visit Graceland, and, and Elvis isn't there, so I don't know why. You know, they keep wanting to visit, but and then you have like you know Jim Morrison's grave in Paris, the you know the lead singer from the Doors. You have Bruce Lee's grave in Seattle. That's a, a actually a big uh, you know, uh, it attracts visitors. It's a tourist attraction in Seattle. It attracts visitors from all over the world. Uh, and then, you know, going back to like Marilyn Monroe again, one of the most expensive crypts in the United States is the one above Marilyn Monroe's. And they they auctioned it off and they sold it for $4.2 million. So someone could, when they passed away, put themselves near. Marilyn Monroe, right above her, as a matter of fact, uh, which is crazy, right? So burial plots, I mean, they can run you anywhere from a few hundred dollars to, to six figures or more, depending on how fancy you want it. And, and I mean, do you want to be cryogenically frozen? Because that's going to cost you easily half a million, right? Do you want your ashes sent into space? like Gene Roddenberry or Timothy Leary, because that runs about $12,500 per gram. And an average person, once they you know, you know cremate you down, you weigh between four and seven pounds, which means it could cost you as high as $34 million to send your ashes into space. <laughs> Is it worth it? <laughs> right. It's not worth it, really. But Abraham he doesn't even negotiate with them. He doesn't even try to bargain with them. He's not looking to sponge off his neighbors. He's not looking to take anything for free. His faith here was shown that in the fact that he was willing to pay for the land, even if it was a high price, even if it wasn't a fair price, he was wealthy. He was able to pay for the field, and he was not willing to take advantage of anybody's generosity. Right? And his faith is shown here in his honesty and his honor, in the way that he addresses his neighbors here the Hittites and his response to the bargaining is the example or at least one example for us to follow here right those who humble themselves shall be exalted abraham shows how a christian should do business with the world which is courteously fairly prudently you know in humility and generously because he was being generous by paying the full price if if that Full price was a high price, specifically, right? If they start off bargaining, they're thinking that Abraham's going to try and talk him down, so they start off high, and Abraham just said, no, I'll take it. Then Abraham is being generous, right? So they agree, they come to terms on the deal, Abraham pays for the land, and now he owns it, both by deed and by promise now. This one piece of land, with these caves, this field, and these caves today, the, the caves of Machpelah, they are about 19 miles south of Jerusalem, and they are covered by this building right here. Okay? So this is a uh, something that was built during the Herodian era, and during the Byzantine rule of the region, uh, they built a basilica on the site, and then the structure was converted into what they call the Ibrahimi Mosque, or... The Mosque of Abraham. So just as, just like on the Temple Mount where the Muslims have covered the only part of uh, Mount Moriah that's actually sticking out above anything with a mosque, uh, the caves here in Machpelah where Abraham and Sarah and many others, we'll get into that in just a second, are buried, um, they've also covered or at least built a mosque around it. And so anyway, that's where it is today if you ever go visiting. And I don't think you can actually go down into the caves, but they have. There's pictures. You can go look at them online if you want to. There's actually two levels to the caves. There's stairs going down. So Abraham, verse 19, buries his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There's only in the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament, there's only five women who are mentioned having died. Sarah, is the first. And and all of these women these five women that are mentioned in the Old Testament, they all die in the book of Genesis and four of these women end up being laid to rest in these caves, right here. right, In the exact same place as Sarah. Because this is where Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham. This is where Isaac and Rebekah were both buried. Jacob buried Leah here uh, Joseph buried Jacob here, and this is the place where Joseph told his descendants to bury him, right? taking his bones with them when they came into the promised land. Uh, somewhere in there, somewhere they had to repurchase the land <laughs> to be able to do that, because of all the time that had passed, it had fallen out right of ownership. They couldn't provide papers showing that they owned it. The city lost them somewhere. right? But regardless of all that, this is a very prominent place. Biblically speaking, as far as who's buried them. Abraham purchasing this land testifies to his faith in God and to his belief in the resurrection. And people say, Well, how? Why? You know, what what is that? Because well, why would Abraham take good care of Sarah? Right? If she was just to be dust and not rise again. Right? If if he didn't believe anything was going to happen to her after her death, if that was it for Sarah, he wouldn't have put a lot of care into her body. Or where it went, or what what happened to it, he did that because he believed in the resurrection. It says in Hebrews eleven uh, verses eight through ten. It says by faith Abraham obeyed, right when he was called to go out into the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Right by faith he went to n- to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. That's what Abraham was looking forward to. And Abraham knew that was coming. And so by faith he purchases the land that was promised to him by God because he knew it would be theirs forever and he knew it was a place where his wife for Sarah could could rest, knowing one day she'd be resurrected and be with God. Now for us as Christians, there is no major significance to the case of Machpelah, right? Other than historical or archaeological interest. Because in reality, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Leah and all those are not there, right? They are in the presence of the Lord. They are not there anymore, right? There's, there's not going to be any episode of, what was that guy's name who went looking for things? He was looking for the bones of... Uh, well, he even did an episode where he's looking for the bones of Jesus once, didn't he? I can't remember the guy's name. He was this uh, report investigative reporter, and he looked for the bones of Al Capone or something like that once, and he thought that he found them. They looked for the bones of Jesus, they did this big thing, they're digging through these sites. Well, we may have found. No, well, it doesn't matter if you even, even if you found bones of Jesus. I mean, you're not going to because they're not there, because he's, he's, you know, up in heaven at the right hand of the throne with God the Father, so, and he is. You know, all human and God. So he has no bones. But, you know, it doesn't matter even if you found the bones of Abraham. And you look through here and it's great. It doesn't matter. He's not there. Right? He's not there because he's with the Lord. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And those who are in Christ Jesus, even though they die, live. Right? They are with Christ Jesus now. And their faith is the example for us. Their faith is the example for us, not their burial site. Regardless of how may maybe. Right? Re- regardless of all the artifacts and everything surrounding it. Right. Because what it testifies to us is this where's our real home? With God right? Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And guess what? He is coming. And that's where our hope lies. 1 John 3.2 tells us, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, Jesus, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. That's a reference to the rapture. And it's a reference to how the dead in Christ will rise first. And then the rest of us will be just a few milliseconds behind. Right? They get the head start. But we'll all be changed in the twinkling of an eye into our eternal bodies. Into our new bodies. Death is nothing to be scared of. And for those in Christ, it's nothing to mourn, really. Really? Not for years and years and years. There's no reason for us to send flowers to the grave three times a week for 20 years. Right? If the person that passed away is with Christ. There's nothing really to mourn. We'll have our moment. We have our days, or weeks, whatever long. You might mourn when a loved one passes. <coughs> You're heartbroken. You're grieved. Abraham was. That's his wife of 60 plus years. He's going to miss her. He goes on and remarries and has more sons and daughters. Doesn't mean he didn't miss Sarah. He's going to miss her. But ultimately he understood the hope that's in Christ Jesus. The hope he had in the resurrection. And he knew that Sarah was with God. And how can you truly mourn that? (laughs) How can you truly just let your years go by, you know, like Joe DiMaggio just wasting away when you know they're with God. They're better off than you are right now. Right? If anything, be mourning for yourself because you're not with them. Right? Oh man, and they beat me. Right? It sucks to be me right now. I mean, that's the reality of life. If they're with Jesus, we don't have a lot to mourn. We're going to mourn them we're gonna, because we're missing them. But we're not going to mourn them because they're with God. We're going to rejoice, right? And the hope that we have is just that. We're like Abraham. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're looking forward to the new country or that new city whose foundation is built by God. Right? We're looking forward to the return of Jesus. We're looking forward to him because we shall see him as he is. And when he appears, guess what? We will have changed as well. Right? First Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Always. Where is God's place? With us. And our place is with him, right? Because there is coming a city whose foundation is designed and built by God. It is coming, right? There is coming a new Jerusalem. There is coming a new heaven and a new earth, right? And we will dwell with God. Is Revelations chapter 21, right? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's a reality. That's going to happen. That's truth. That's the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Right? And with hope and in faith, I'm looking forward to that day. I am looking forward to that day. Psalms 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. And that's the truth. We find our life in the promises of God. And Abraham knew that. He understood that his life was found in the promises of God. And Sarah's life was found in the promises of God. And though he mourned her passing, there is a time for mourning, and then there is a time for standing up. Right? And he stood up. And he buried her. And he celebrated the fact that she was with God. And that one day she would be resurrected. And he's not going to grieve too long over that. Nor should we. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that is in them, for the hope that is in them. We do not grieve as one who has no hope. We grieve as those who have hope. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that we just continue to remember that. That death is not something that should scare us. Because we have been promised eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we thank you for these words. And we thank you for your love. And we pray, Lord, that you just continue to be with us and help us be a light and continue to point people to the hope that is found in Jesus. The People who are, who are scared of this exact thing. Not just them facing death, but their loved ones facing death that there is hope and hope is found on the cross hope is found in Jesus and one day we will be with him and we will see him as he is and we will be in our resurrected bodies our glorified bodies and we thank you for that Lord we thank you in Jesus name Amen